Welcome to the Dream, Plan, Start, Grow podcast hosted by Allison Turner. In each episode, we interview real everyday entrepreneurs to learn how they got their start, what challenges they faced and overcame when starting the business, and what successes each has had. Welcome to the Dream, Plan, Start, Grow show. My name is Allison Turner. Uh, I am your host. The reason I started this show is really to educate people that either want to start a business or maybe are in the early stages of business ownership on the different challenges that other business owners have. I interview different types of entrepreneurs in all different industries to share their experience and how they got started and what challenges and successes they had early on and what they may be able to share to help others. Today, my guest is Dr. Hepsharat Amadi. Oh, you did that very well. Okay. I said it right. That's yep. good. Yep, yep. So I, we've met years ago, I know, and then kind of lost touch. And then we're both in the same, uh, same, same masterminds that we've reconnected more recently. And I've always been fascinated by kind of the holistic world of medicine, even though I've never seen a holistic doctor, but I've always like read up on it. And it's the first time for everything. <laughs> yeah, no, I was reading up on your website. So I know you got your medical degree first and then you were practicing more the Western side of medicine, it looked like. And then you went into, you know, you kind of branched out on your own and um, went towards more the holistic side. So what fascinated you by that? Well, you know, I never thought that Western medicine was the be all and end all. So I've been asked many times by my patients if I like suddenly had an epiphany and a light bulb went off over my head and I said, oh, I'm gonna go holistic. No, <laughs> it was never like that. I never went into medicine thinking that it was the only way to deal with things, but especially since I was most interested in disease prevention and health optimization, and I knew that medical school and residency wouldn't give me the tools to do that, but they would also give me a very useful foundation. So, I was holistic minded from before I went to medical school and it was just a process of acquiring the right tools to be able to help people optimize their health because in medical school, they don't teach you that. <laughs> you know, they teach you to manage disease, but not how to optimize health. Right. I mean, I think that's one of the, the main issues I see as a big problem with the Western medicine and even our insurance industry, I know my insurance companies stopped paying for chiropractic right now because it's not medically necessary. Well, I'll tell you an interesting thing about that. Most people don't know this, but back in the 1950s, the American Chiropractic Association sued the American Medical Association really? for unfair restriction of trade and won. Wow. Okay, so most medical doctors would never refer a patient to a chiropractor no matter what was going on with them, <laughs> you know. Um, and actually part of my role as a holistic functional doctor is to help my patients to know which other avenues, whether it's chiropractic, acupuncture, you know, homeopathy, herbalism, uh, colon hydrotherapy, which therapies they also need beyond the therapies that I do. Because the great thing about, one of the great things about natural medicine is that it's synergistic. If you deal with a bunch of good practitioners, 
the whole of their results is more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's so true. But do you find there's a barrier for some patients to see you? Because obviously insurance, I know you don't take insurance. And I know even if you did take insurance, insurance a lot of times it's not going to pay for this type of it won't pay for it anyway. it won't pay for it so because and that's why i really can't um right is because they would say what i'm doing is not medically necessary, necessary. Like what they define insurance. as medically necessary <laughs> is uh medication or surgery needed to manage a disease i hope to prevent people from right. needing medication or surgery so i'm doing things that are preventive they don't want to acknowledge that Preventive care can actually cultivate health, so they would just say it's medically unnecessary and not not pay for it. But I think that the system has designed it so that it's very hard for most people to be able to pay for so-called health insurance and holistic care. So usually most people have to wind up making a choice. Even I myself actually do not have any health insurance, do not want to have any health insurance because they would only be willing to pay for things that I don't want. And the things that I do (laughs) want, you know, I can pay for those because those are relatively inexpensive. And I'm not saying that my choice would be appropriate for everybody, but the last time that I had health insurance was when I was still pregnant because that was the last time that they could offer me something that I might want, which is a C-section. As soon as my last child was born vaginally, dropped that like a hot potato. And I've paid for, (laughs) I've paid for all my health care ever since, you know, my, my chiropractic care, my, uh, you know, colonics, uh, whatever else that I do that's holistic, you know, even buying organic food, you know, (laughs) I mean, what a concept, buying food with no toxins in it, you know? I mean, this is something that the system makes incrementally harder for people to do. And a lot of people not knowing the difference right. and being told that it is the same, which is a lie, you know, a lot of them will just say, well, you know what? I can't really afford to eat organic, you right. know, because it costs a little more, but this country is making the choice to make its citizens make that choice. And there are other countries in the world where, you know, everything is grown organically. Really? Yes. I don't think I, Only I one know that. other country that I know of, and I'm forgetting now which one it is, um, but um, I've, I've been to other countries and their food is much better than here, much, mm-hmm. much fresher, much tastier, and grown in much more health, healthy ways. And that's another reason why so many Americans have trouble losing weight, is because the food they're eating <laughs> contains toxins that are messing up their liver and that are making it harder for them to lose weight. But you see, unfortunately, the system is set up to make money. So the more people that are sick, and that are having chronically managed illnesses, the more money the system makes. It doesn't make money when people are very healthy and don't need medications, don't need hospitalizations, you know, don't need to see their doctors more than every so often electively, you know. So I've, I've chosen not to so much try to make money but rather to do the best job that I can by the patients that I see. 
And that's the reason why I'm in private practice really is because I realized that as long as I was still working for other people, I would have to abide by what they thought the patients should get, not what I thought they mm -hmm. should get. So that's, that's the main reason why I went into private practice because I'm not an entrepreneur <laughs> by any stretch well, of the imagination. You have to be something. No, like, uh... no, it was entirely forced. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about that. The way that it happened was that this clinic that I was working for at one time was sold to another clinic and I was supposed to be working in the second clinic as well, um, which was the same place. And the clinic owner, the second clinic owner, bounced, you know, one month's worth of checks to me. Oh. And I said to him, you know what? I can't afford to work for free. So either you give me a check, you know, that cashes, <laughs> or I'm going to have to leave. And then when he, you know, made plain that he really wasn't going to do that, then I had to decide, well, what am I going to do? Right. Am I going to stay here hoping that one day he'll pay me? That's not an option. No. Am I going to leave and find another employer who is going to, you know, give me some of the same kinds of problems I've had with previous employers? Not that they were all bad, but they were not totally satisfactory. Or am I going to branch out on my own and do something that I've never done before, have no uh, aptitude towards necessarily, no training in, no orientation? <laughs> And where I know that a lot of other business owners and medical doctors who have far more experience in practice than I did at that time, you know, were going out of business. But I finally decided, you know what, if I don't do this now, when will I ever do it? Because at that point, I had spent 11 years after residency working for other people. Wow. So I'd been around that block a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, it sounds like you were kind of forced into it to some degree, but you also made the best choice for where you saw you could help the most. Well, you know, well. what really was a, a stroke of fortune in my favor is that an acquaintance of mine who was a chiropractor herself, she had an office close to, you know, where I live, and she spent a lot of time traveling and teaching. So she said to me like a year or two before this whole crisis kicked off, she said, you know, would you be interested in sharing office space with me? You can build up your own private practice. And right. so I had already started coming there in the evenings to see a few patients. And she just made it as easy as possible to segue in. She wasn't charging me rent in the beginning. And then as my practice grew up, you know, she started charging me more rent, which was fine. Um, so that kind of made it so that I already had something that I could develop to fall back on in that time. Right. I was really blessed. And I, and I think that's important to note that, you know, as an, someone starting in business, you know, sometimes people are forced. I mean, I've interviewed a couple of people that either had gotten let go, you know, during the pandemic, you know, because that industry shut down, you know, like an event planner company obviously shut down because there were no events early on, you know, things like that, or someone else who wasn't expecting to get let go of a job and just suddenly did. and you know, the kind of opportunities fell into place where he started a business with two other people. You yeah, know, COVID like, interrupted a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> no, and forced some other people to do some different things.
one of the reasons I started this podcast was to educate people on different forms of entrepreneurship and owning a business because I feel like even in 2022, we are still in a place where people are leaving companies, companies are forcing people to go back in the office. They've gotten that taste of working from home and they've chosen not to go back in the office. They've chosen to go out on their own. They've chosen to, you know, seek something better, you know, they've reevaluated, maybe they lost someone close to them in the last two and a half years, they've reevaluated their life and whether they really want to do whatever the career is that they were doing or working, like in your case, working for someone else and not really finding as much fulfillment as maybe working for yourself and being able to go in your own path. You know, I think you bring up good points as, you know, in this country specifically, and I can't speak for other countries necessarily, although you've probably done more research on it, is everything in the more holistic and disease preventative side is so expensive or more expensive. It's actually not. But it's more expensive than not, let's just say. I mean, because if you have a choice between, you know, if a family has a choice between organic and non-organic, and we typically buy, you know, try and buy most of what we buy in organic. And I have to seek that out because, you know, Publix isn't really a big organic store. No, they have but a few it's things. much more than it ever used to be. Yeah, much more. Much but more. But Trader Joe's is good. You know, obviously Fresh Market, Whole Foods, things like that. But you have to kind of seek it out. Costco's done a really good job of bringing more and more organic into their store. You know, but you have to seek it out and you have to be very intentional Yes, but you know what? That's happening more and more. There's a a gradual sea change where people are choosing and they're voting with their wallets. And this is the reason why places that never used to carry any organic produce now do. And even though their selection may not be as wide as other places, but it's getting wider and wider all the time. And you can even find decent food at airports nowadays, which is something that you never used to be able to find. But, you know, I, I take issue with your saying that uh, holistic care is more expensive because it's way cheaper. You know, it's just that people regard their health insurance premiums as something that must be paid. So even though they may be paying $1,000 a month, $1,000 would buy a lot of holistic care. Right. If people were spending that $1,000 on holistic care, then they'd have plenty of money to spend. But the thing that makes the difference is that in people's minds, that's necessary. Whereas holistic care is optional. You know, they don't realize that it's an investment in yourself. And, you know, I laugh sometimes when people tell me the prices of some drugs that they are paying for (laughs) monthly. And it's like, wow, that would be like many, many visits in a month, you know, but they feel that it's absolutely necessary and so they're going to pay it. But I can tell you that holistic care is always the cheapest because prevention is always cheaper than cure. Always cheaper. No, you make a great point. And better. Yes. And more fun. You make (laughs) a great point. uh Uh-huh because I think you're, you're right. And I mean, I think that's part of the issue with the backward system we have is that it's not preventative. And so then you see the premiums continue to go up and you see the pharmaceutical industry continue to make a ton of money. I mean, they literally have people by the throat. Right. You know, there are some people who are on medications that I was just reading today about, you know, how they voted not to 
cap the price of insulin. You know, well, if you need insulin, you've got to have it. Yeah. And, you know, you'll be willing to pay. You'll be willing to go without food, go without shelter, sometimes go without clothes to be able to afford to get it. And in this country, I just feel that that's wrong. We mm -hmm. have enough money to pay for everybody who needs insulin to have it. Um, but we are healthcare in this country is not considered to be a right. It's considered to be a privilege. So if you can right. afford it, then you can have it. And if you can't afford it, well, too bad for you. So what if, if someone drops health insurance? You know, like my premium just went up to... It depends on the person. Right. And so you, you know, wouldn't just like advocate that for everyone. Obviously. No, absolutely not. You know, that's whole, the whole thing too about holistic health care. It's not a one size fits all. Right. The, you know, because I am a medical doctor, if a patient still needs to be on medications, I can refill those medications and I can even work with them on weaning them down off medications, which most conventional doctors don't believe can be done, but it usually can be, you know, given enough time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everybody's in a different situation and some people really actually wouldn't be able to afford all of the disease management that they need without insurance. And right. so for them, they better they better have that insurance, you know, but there are a lot of people, particularly, you know, younger people who, if they are given enough of the right holistic care, they might never be in any kind of crisis situation where they need, you know, health insurance. Okay. And by the way, I just have to say that health insurance is really a misnomer. <laughs> it's no more health, it no more ensures that you are well right. than life insurance <laughs> ensures that you live. It's just a nicer way of saying <laughs> disease management insurance, because that's really all it is. And don't expect it to do more for you than that. And that's, you know, that's very important. You want to have your disease managed if you have disease. But if you don't have disease, you would even much prefer not to have disease. And, you know, health insurance... <laughs> It's not going to do that for you no. to prevent you having disease. Actually, what they would call prevention is actually early, so-called early monitoring, but it's not really even early monitoring. So, for example, you know, the whole situation with breast cancer, you know, they call it breast cancer prevention by just encouraging women to get, <laughs> you know, mammograms. But... Um, that doesn't actually prevent them from getting breast cancer. It just no. may <laughs> discover that they already have it earlier. earlier. That's all, which is still good, but there are better ways to do that. Okay. I, I'm more for thermography, but I'm just using that as an example of things that are called, you know, disease prevention that are actually just disease detection. Mm-hmm. No, I... No, I think that's true because I know, you know, I mean, I know I've looked into it. I know Jack has studied it more extensively probably than I have of what our country has kind of put into place or, you know, what's developed over time and gotten kind of gotten worse probably over time. You know, I mean, I think my premium just went up to 600 and something dollars a month, you know, and I'm knock on wood, you know, healthy. I rarely use it. I mean, I go to like 
see my doctor twice a year and do blood work and, you know, the typical stuff. And I mean, that's usually the best possible scenario with health insurance is that you don't have to use it. Yeah. And I see if my chiropractor, which pays for some of it. And now uh-huh. they've, they've decided they don't want to pay anymore because it's not medically necessary. So, and that's about, you know, I'm not going to, those are the only people I've seen this year is those two people, um, you know, thankfully. But, um, you know, I think some people may be concerned if, something and i understand where you're coming from is obviously mm-hmm. if you you know have your health then you're not going to have the massive heart attack or the stroke or whatever that people have that concern with of having insurance to pay for the hospital coverage and whatnot you know i think that's the you know we, see, everything's we, based on fear in the medical system anyway. that's the whole thing it's kind <laughs> you know? of like a protection racket they're saying look if you don't have this then something dire is going to happen to you and then right. you won't be able to pay for it and in america that's a whole thing there's whole bunches of people who are in medical debt that they don't see any way of being able to pay off before no. they die you know and that's just a shame to me Mm-hmm. in the richest country in the world, why people should right. have to live in fear of that. But you see, we're being taught that we can't control our health. We're being taught that our health is only determined mainly by two factors. One is genetics, which of course we can't control. And then the other is what germs we're exposed to, which you know we can control to some degree, but not completely. But that's, those are not the main determinants of illness the main determinant of illness is stress. And that's something that, you know, most medical doctors' offices don't do anything about, you know, except maybe prescribe patients anxiolytics like Xanax, which only makes them more toxic and addicted over time. So, you know, for what I use, the quantum biofeedback device, there are programs on it that can just reduce your stress at the click of a mouse. And if it could only do that, it would be well worth it, I think. But it can do so much more. The other thing is making people aware of their risk factors because you'd be surprised at how many people don't even know that they're stressed. Right. Because it's so chronic for them. It's like a background noise or smell that's always there. (laughs) And so therefore they don't consciously notice it anymore. And you can't manage something that you don't notice. No. So. So how does... I mean, I read a little bit on your website about quantum biofeedback, but I haven't really I've heard the term before, but I, that's about the extent of what I know. Well, you're about ahead it. of most people because most people have never heard of it. No, <laughs> no. And it's not quite the same as conventional biofeedback, although it contains some of the same programs as conventional biofeedback, mm-hmm. um, which teach a person how to become aware of certain processes that are normally Um, automatic like heart rate and blood pressure and brain waves so as to learn to control them. Um, This program has those kinds of features in it too, but I hardly ever use those. The ones that I use the most have to do with showing me what's going on electromagnetically with that patient. And in Western medicine, we only monitor what's going on electromagnetically with two organs the brain with the EEG machine and the heart with the EKG machine. Other than that, in Western medicine, we have no idea of what's (laughs) going on electromagnetically with our patients and we don't do anything about it. Um, We can't afford to ignore the electromagnetic aspects when it comes to the brain or the heart because 
If you went to a doctor complaining of chest pain and they didn't do an EKG, you would think, well, what's up with this? You know, this is really not the standard of care. But unfortunately, most doctors have no idea what's going on with us electromagnetically. And I like to give an analogy to how the quantum biofeedback device works that I think most people can relate to. And that is when you take your car into the dealership, they will often hook your car up to their computer right. so that they can check to see whether your car's circuits are functioning properly. Well, our human body has circuits, we're electromagnetic, and that's where everything starts. So yeah. if you optimize the electromagnetic functioning, then the biochemical functioning will follow, and then the physical structure will follow. So that's why I like to get in on the ground floor of change because I'm most interested in not only disease prevention, but health optimization, which you can really do with quantum biofeedback. Huh, interesting. Yeah. So how do you get your patients? I mean, I'm sure you've had some for a long time since you've been in practice for 20 plus years, but um, like, how do you get new patients? Like, how do they find out about you? Do people refer you at this point? Well, I would say that maybe, you know, 40, 60, 40 to 60% of my new patients come from referrals. But um, I also used to get a lot of um, patients from uh, Natural Awakenings magazine, which mm -hmm. I've advertised in for 20 plus years in South Florida. And a lot yeah. of people who are interested in holistic stuff will be reading that. But um, actually more lately, oh. I've started to get more of my patients from, you know, social media and Facebook, Okay, which is that's good. fun and <laughs> yeah. it's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's free. Yeah. I should do an ads, but uh, I'm guessing that they're following you maybe or. Yep, some of them are, you know, and some of them hear about me through my Facebook ads, but you know, um, okay. it's it's kind of a nice mix of, of you know, new patients that are, and, and some of them actually just search, just do an old fashioned Google search <laughs> for, you know, holistic medical doctor or functional medical doctor, sometimes maybe with my area, maybe, you know, that's the modern day thing to do. So right. I'll say half of my <laughs> patients do that and then the other half is by referral. Okay. And then the other half is people like you that I meet you know, in various groups that I uh, attend with sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Did you have any problem when you first went out on your own getting new patients? Like when you were brand new, obviously had no, you know, starting from well, zero. Well, some of my patients actually um, followed me from okay. the, uh, offices where I had been working, um, not that many, because I don't see that many patients in a day, and I was only working there part-time at night. But again, you know, if you do a good job with a patient, then they might tell their friend or relative to come see you. So it, it, mm -hmm. it gradually grows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't get to see that many patients a day. Like an average day for me might be six patients. Wow. The average day for most medical doctors who are working in a setting where they're, you know, accepting insurance and so on is 20 to 40 patients a day. And yeah. each patient gets seven minutes or less. Yeah. You know, no, my I... shortest visit is like half an hour. Okay. That's my shortest. Yeah. I, I was just talking to my mother who's up in Indianapolis and she's in her 80s and she was complaining about she had called into her doctor's office and 
tried to get the, the nurse's station, which is like people you can actually talk to. And then she got voicemail and then she didn't leave a message. And she's like, and even when I go and see him, like, you know, I, I see, see her for like two seconds. And I said, yeah, and that's the problem with the medical system is, you know, insurance pays less, you know, based on whatever the contracted rate is. They've got medical malpractice insurance they have to pay. And that, that number keeps accelerating. And so they have to keep seeing more patients in order to basically make ends meet per se, you know. Where right, <laughs> and what patients don't understand about insurance, especially HMO insurance, is that yeah. those doctors are paid per capita, per yeah. patient, huh. per month, regardless wow. of whether those patients ever set foot in the door or not. Really? So it's at, yes. So it's yeah. actually, you know, in the doctor's best interest that the patients don't even come in because if they're being paid regardless, <laughs> they don't have to do anything. Then, you know, I didn't realize that. Yeah, absolutely. Well. And that's, you know, that's I mean. one of the reasons why I can't do that. So they don't really care if you call their office and, you know, you're not able to speak to a live human, right. you know, um, they still get because they're still getting paid, you know, whereas with me, um, not only am I not paid for by insurance, but if my patients are not happy with the care that I give them, they'll go elsewhere and I don't blame them, yeah. you know, but actually they seem to feel pretty good about it because they keep on coming back and they keep on referring their friends and family. So I have to try to keep them happy by giving them the best care because they're the ones who are paying the bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And what were, when you first started this practice, and I think it was like 2001, is that yes. right? Yes, yeah. Um, what were your biggest challenges when you started? Just fear, you know, because <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm about to do something that I've never done before in a very challenging and competitive environment. And really, um, I'm fortunate because the thing that I love to do is still relatively rare. There are right. not that many functional medical doctors out there. So I really don't feel that I have that much competition. And there is nobody out there who is actually a medical doctor who is doing their practice based around quantum biofeedback like I am. So, you know, I really, you know, don't feel like I have any other competition. If I were more conventional and starting a practice, then that would be a whole other <laughs> kettle of fish. Yeah. Right. But still, you know, doing something that you've never done before when your family's livelihood is on the line is scary, mm -hmm. you know? And it's not even like I was coming from a family where my parents had been self-employed. They were working for other people as well. So right. some people have come from families where, you know, there's a previous experience of <laughs> self-employment, but I was like... <laughs> <laughs> None of that. <laughs> None of that, you know? And whatever little they taught us about practice management. I remember we had a month of practice management in the last year of medical residency and anything that they taught us during that time was already outdated by the time we graduated. <laughs> so it was like, you know, pushing us into the ocean and saying, well, sink or swim. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've heard that about medical practices just in general medical yeah. practices that, you know, they, there is zero taught in medical school. No about and how you changing. actually run a medical practice. And yeah, obviously with the insurance all the laws time. continuing to change and everything, you know, 
changing, then they have to figure it out or hire someone that can figure it out because they're too busy seeing like the 20 to 40 patients or whatever you said a day. A day, So they can't be the ones figuring it out. Um, it's totally changed and it keeps on changing. And, you know, when you think about the fact that when I graduated residency in 1990, you know, use of computers to do all sorts of things was not at all as common no. as it did as it is now. So right. we've not only had to adapt to new models of, you know, um, so-called healthcare delivery, but also new models of public relations and marketing. Um, you know, I knew nothing about marketing. I mean, nothing. I didn't even really have any interest in marketing because, you know, I didn't really even have that much interest in making money to tell you the honest truth. I mean, it didn't fascinate me. I just figured, which was wrong, I just figured that, well, if I was a doctor, I'd probably be making enough money to be comfortable. Maybe not wealthy, you know, because I'm not in an operative specialty, but at least enough money right. so that I wouldn't have to worry about keeping a roof over my head. Well, I didn't realize that <laughs> no matter how good you are at what you do, if nobody knows that, right. it doesn't help you. <laughs> so, you know, they say it's like uh, winking at a girl in the dark. You know, if, if, if she doesn't know what See you're it. doing, then she yeah. can't respond to that. So, you know, that's the reason why I have joined with other entrepreneur um, groups, which is where I met Allison, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that I could try to assimilate some of these concepts, you know, which were totally <laughs> alien to me and, you know, which I had no intrinsic interest in. But I realized that if I didn't at least somewhat ma master the ideas, then, you know, I might wind up going out of business because I couldn't afford to hire anybody to do this for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges I see with you know, clients of mine that are starting a business is, you know, they're good at whatever. So you're good at the, the doctor side of things, but they don't realize when you start a business, you know, guess what? You're now the bookkeeper, you're the marketer, you're the salesperson, Chief you're cook the, and bottle washer. Yeah, you're everything initially <laughs> until you actually get off the ground and make enough money to actually, you know, afford hiring some of those positions out. And sometimes it takes longer and, and you know, and so you, figure out what you're good at and then hire the other stuff out <laughs> once you have the money. But uh, they don't realize that. I mean, I'm reading right now the E-Myth um, book and uh, that's one of the big things they talk about is, you know, that technician person, you know, regardless of what you do, you know, they're the ones that are good at whatever the service is, but they don't realize now they have to be the business owner and the manager too, you know, so they have to, these two people, things up here, otherwise you can't exist and you can't thrive in what you're doing. You probably will go out of business. Um, so every reason you went into business for yourself just went out the window because now you got to learn all this other stuff on top of it. Well, I just consider myself really fortunate because I know that most new businesses do go out of business, mm -hmm. I think within the first three years, is that what they say? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot go out in the first year and mm -hmm. then there's another break point at like three or five. And then if you hit that nine, 10, like then you're, then you, you've kind of excelled into the, you know, that next level, but. Um, yeah, but I feel very fortunate because I've been around for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And in the pandemic, you know, the pandemic took out 40% of small black businses. Wow. 40%, four zero. 
and realize I read that, that in Forbes. Oh, wow. So hopefully they know, you know, <laughs> yeah, and yet I'm still here. And I think it's only because of the uniqueness of what I do, you know, and so, getting good results. Yeah. How did your patients fare during the pandemic? Well, you know, actually, my patients did very well. And this might sound really weird, but you can do quantum biofeedback remotely. Just really? like, oh, yes, just like. Uh -huh. So many things these days, you can do it remotely because we are energy. Mm -hmm. And so just like tuning a radio to a specific station, you'll get only the frequencies that are coming from that station, even though there are all these other stations out there <laughs> broadcasting. But if you tune the radio to that station, then you just get that station's broadcast. Right. And so when I calibrate the device to somebody, that allows me to tune into their frequencies and I can actually treat them wherever there are. So um, um, I shouldn't say that I was treating COVID remotely because God forbid what kinds of authorities would come down on me for making <laughs> that kind of a claim. But I will say that I was improving the frequencies of their immune system. Mm -hmm. I think I can say that, that I yeah. was harmonizing their vibrations and most of them did very well despite the fact that unfortunately, um, one of my patients, well, she wa he wasn't really my patient, but he was the husband of one of my patients, actually died during the pandemic. And I had tried to help him and he was getting better up to a certain point, but then he went into the hospital and subsequently died. So I have found that it makes a really big difference, people's diet. And they don't talk right. about that over here, but yeah. the British Medical Journal published a study in which they said that people who were vegetarians actually had a 72% lower risk really? of severe COVID huh. and people who are pescatarians like me had a 59% lower risk of huh. severe COVID. And unfortunately, the people that I saw, some of whom weren't my patients, but I heard about them from their wives who were my patients, you know, when they ate much more poorly, they did much worse with COVID, regardless of whether they were vaccinated or not. Interesting. You know, so, but on the whole, I can say that, you know, not one of my patients who saw me with any frequency, because some of my patients only see me once every several years <laughs> <laughs> when they want to check in and make sure they're still alive. But, you know, <laughs> some of my other patients who saw me more regularly, none of them had severe COVID and none of them right. have, you know, so-called long COVID. Right. And I'm convinced that a lot of that has to do with um, bioidentical hormone replacement. So I'm on bioidentical hormones. In Western medicine, they never measure hormones, hardly ever. And when they do, they do it in a really incomplete way. And I just saw an interesting case that confirms my hypothesis that a lot of the people who are suffering from long COVID have inadequate hormone production. I saw a young man who was only 30 who had gotten COVID July 1st. I saw him yesterday and he had not been able to come into the office because he only tested negative for COVID as of last week. Oh, wow. So he had had COVID for more than a month. Wow. By contrast, I only had COVID for a little over a week and I'm twice his age. 
you know, I'm on bioidentical hormones, but, you know, he actually turned out to be deficient in hormones, which I found out hmm. during his visit. And, you know, he had some other issues, which I felt that they would um, help. So some people need bioidentical hormones, even from hmm. much younger than that. But unfortunately, Western medicine will usually not know that, and they will usually not address um, hormonal insufficiency or imbalance in young people. And when I'm talking about hormones, I'm also talking about adrenal and thyroid hormones. I'm not only talking about male okay. and female hormones, which is what most people would think about when they think about hormones, but adrenal and thyroid hormones are hormones also. And adrenal hormones are really important for immune support. If you're not producing enough cortisol, or if the cortisol that you're producing does not bind to your own receptors well, then you will have incrementally less immune function than you would have if they were. Hmm. And conventional medicine will never recognize this because they do not do serial saliva tests, which would be the kind of test that you need to do to detect problems here, unless you're using quantum biofeedback where it can tell me qualitatively that there's a problem, but quantitatively, I'd only be able to know by using a lab test. But you see, cortisol levels are supposed to be very different throughout the day. So right. what level would be normal in the morning is not a level that would be normal in the afternoon. And so this is the reason why if you just send a person to the lab once during the day to get a cortisol level drawn, regardless of what the level is, it doesn't tell you about what their overall adrenal function is like. And many of us has been so stressed for so long <laughs> right. that our cortisol levels are in the toilet. And yet we can go to our conventional medical doctors complaining of fatigue and they may say, oh, it's just stress, you know, and they offer us some, you know, medication for that. Right. But they don't correct the underlying problem, which is being hypoadrenal. And it yeah. can become a vicious circle because being hypoadrenal will cause you more symptoms and then having symptoms will cause you more stress and then the more stress will cause you to be more hypoadrenal. So that's where giving <laughs> the person the kinds of hormones that they need helps to break that vicious cycle. Okay. Yeah. So a couple of last questions. So I know you're, you've been married for a while as well as have three kids. Were they supportive of your venture out on your own when all this happened? Well, you know, I'm the main breadwinner of my family. And when this happened, you know, my <laughs> children were really too small. I mean, my youngest one was only one year old when oh, wow. I went into business for myself. And my oldest one was only, I guess, around eight. So it's not like they could really say, you yeah. know, go for it, mom. <laughs> they probably didn't even really know what <laughs> what I was doing. I right. only knew She's that still they, leaving. they She's still, still had back. a roof over their head yeah. and food and clothes. So, you know, they didn't really know. And my husband has always been holistically oriented. I mean, ever since I met him. Okay. So that was one of the things that I felt good about with him is because he was always trying within the limits of his knowledge to live a more healthy lifestyle. So certainly he supported that. Okay. Thank God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I find that's, like essential when you go out into business, you know, if you have the one spouse going out and working for themselves and sometimes, especially as you get started, the hours are longer, you're trying to figure things out. And then the other one either gets jealous or they get resentful. 
you know, but having them have buy-in is really key in that situation. Well, I think he knew that, you know, um, holistic medicine had always been my heart. Right. And, you know, I guess he understood that in the beginning, when you have no experience in practice management, you may start off as being an employee, but that maybe <laughs> later on, you know, when you've had more experience, that maybe then might be the time to branch out and try and do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like you've had a lot of success over the years. Well, I would say success in in my terms. You know, I'm like not a millionaire, you know, <laughs> um, at least in terms of money. But I'm success in keeping patients healthy and not disease. I'm a billionaire in terms of satisfaction. OK. Yeah. No, I think and that's each, what each of it's us all like about. Gauges, yeah, exactly. Each of us gauges success in different terms and it's whatever term it is for for you or for me. Um, I don't I don't believe it's always money to me. It's uh, nah. You know, <laughs> Money's you can't good. take money with you when you die. So uh, money's you know. good, and it gives you the opportunity to do a lot of good things. But you know, for me, there is nothing like the experience of knowing that I've helped save a life, or that mm -hmm. even I've helped bring a life into being. Because you know, actually, holistic care can actually increase women's fertility as well without okay. IVF or anything. But really, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a few pregnancies that I've been partially responsible for, <laughs> indirectly. Yeah, hopefully yeah. they wanted the pregnancy. And oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So we, been... we start winding down. I ask this of all my um, guests. If there was one thing that either you didn't know when you started the business or maybe you found like very helpful in your early success, you know, that might help someone else that's trying to start a business, you know, any kind of business, what would that be? Boy, that's a, that's a tough one there. Because, <laughs> you know, part of it is just wandering around and making your own mistakes, you know. Um, uh -huh. Hopefully they won't be too costly. But uh, I think the biggest thing that I would um, say to people is, you know, align yourself with other people who are entrepreneurs and who know more than you do about how this game runs, you know, because what was so scary for me was the idea that I was all alone. It almost was like climbing into the cockpit of a plane that you know that you don't know how to fly. Right. You, know? <laughs> you need to take off. Right, exactly, you know, but, but aligning yourself with other people um, who know how to do this and who have been in business with longer, longer than you, you know, helps you to have a different perspective mm -hmm. and helps you to have the encouragement that you really need to overcome that fear and feel the fear, but do it anyway. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think you bring up a great point. Um, and one I always talk to people about is, you know, you are alone when you first start. But having definitely that, feel alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh -huh. definitely finding, you know, either a mentor, finding a group, um, finding people that are smarter than you in ways that you're not as smart in. So, you know, you're the you're the doctor and you're great in that area, finding people that are good in the marketing arena, all the other pieces to help build that, you know, and not being afraid because I think that's you know, fear often stops people from moving forward instead of encouraging them to seek out what those resources might be to you know, ease that fear. Yeah, and one thing I would say too is just like everything else in life is changing all the time. So showing up at these 
you know, group events and affiliating yourself with the other people who are in the group um, just can help you continue to change, you know, right. and grow mm -hmm. in ways that aren't necessary because nothing ever stays the same. No. And uh, <laughs> nothing ever will again. So, yeah. And, and to be open to be a lifelong learner. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's essential too. Absolutely. Lifelong learner. Yep. So if anyone wanted to either seek you out as a patient or, you know, just reach out from a standpoint of a question, what's the best way to connect? Is it your website, social media? What's the best way to connect? Um, well, the website is pretty good. It's www.greatnaturaldoctor, with doctor being spelled out, .com. And then the office phone is also a good way. Um, that's 954-757-0064. And then there's the email, which is just dramadi at dramadi.com. And I also now have started a YouTube channel too. Uh -huh. So if you Same. want to search for me under Hepsharat Amadi, then you'll find my little baby YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> got to start somewhere. That's right. My little toddler YouTube channel. <laughs> well, you got you to gotta start somewhere. I find that, you, you know. Yeah, it's, it's best to start as an acquaintance that I met through one of these um, entrepreneurs said, um, you know, you, you have to start somewhere, you know, and it's better to start small and make mistakes than never do anything at all. Right. No, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining. Oh, today, thank you Dr. so much Amati. for inviting me. I yeah. really enjoyed it. So thank you, everyone, for joining the Dream Plan Start Grow show. Uh, my name again is Allison Turner. So I'm the founder of Dream Plan Start Grow, which is a business coaching program. I also founded Batcat Media Group. So we love working with entrepreneurs and startups and you know, building from you know, the business side up. And we can do that through branding, you know, everything. So I look forward to seeing everyone again next week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Dream Plan Start Grow podcast with Allison Turner. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Join the Dream Plan Start Grow community by following us on Facebook or Instagram at Dream Plan Start Grow. See you in the next episode.